You are tuning in to another edition of Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. To kick off our show tonight, we're going to talk about Dylan Coleman and his 2023 struggles. Then we're going to dive into Cole Reagans and my expectations for him to close out the year and for next season. And lastly, MJ Melendez has quietly gotten a lot hotter. Is it sustainable? And is he doing enough right now to be a fit for the 2024 roster? All that is coming up next on Locked on Royals. You are Locked on Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. First things first, we want to thank you for making Lockdown Royals your first listen every day. And as always, you can check us out on those podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and you can check us out on YouTube. We've had tons of subscribers, tons of comments, so you can be the next one. Just hit that red subscribe button and you can reach me there. Or you can reach me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five before we dive into some dylan coleman talk do you want to give a shout out to today's title sponsor in sleeper i have two fun fantasy picks to get into for tonight's game against the new york mets game two of that series after the royals won in balk off fashion yesterday we'll talk a little bit about that in today's show but i did want to open up the podcast episode getting into dylan coleman because dylan coleman last night Came into the eighth inning, two-run lead. Austin Cox began that frame, but Matt Quattrero pulled him after he gave up a one-out single. So here comes Dylan Coleman. And I think because of injuries, because of how bad the bullpen has been all season long, we've kind of forgotten to talk about Dylan Coleman. Because he was there in April, then he was really struggling, then he goes on the injured list, then he's down in Omaha. But one thing has been consistent. He has never found that velocity again. The velocity he had last year, sitting 98, 99, 100. Now it's about 91 to 95. And what I'm trying to really grasp is how that happens without you know, a, a lingering injury, if you will. But if Dylan Coleman's hurt, he can't be on this roster. And there'd be no reason to play him right now if he's playing through some pain. I get that players have that, you know, confidence in themselves players want to be out there they're bulldogs and from what I know about Dylan Coleman at least what he appears to be on screen and at games he's a bulldog he wants to get the ball he wants to go out there but when you have that big of a velocity dip going from 98 99 to 93 to 94 and it's not injury related I'm struggling to find what it could be then about a week ago Dylan Coleman took the ball in Cleveland against the Guardians, and he got rocked. It hasn't been much better since being recalled from Omaha. And I asked the question, if it's not injury-related, and it's not, I, I guess, a physical thing, he's getting older, the velocity dips, which wouldn't make much sense in a, in a one-year difference, is it mental? Right? Is this a mental thing where to avoid – missing the zone by a mile he'll take a few miles per hour off his fastball therefore he can locate it better the problem is he ain't locating he's not coming close to locating and what's been even more unique 
he's thrown that sweeper that he has far more than the fastball. And maybe it's the lack of confidence in the fastball. Maybe he grips the ball better with his sweeper. But last night, that's inexcusable. And I got some people commenting back to me saying, you know, if it's not Dylan Coleman in the eighth inning, who is it? Because I've taken the stance of, I don't care if the team's 33 and 75. He doesn't deserve to get the ball, not with the way he's been throwing. He's clearly not going to resemble his 2022 form, so somebody else get the damn ball. You got to bridge the gap to Carlos Hernandez in the ninth. I get you had some guys that were tired, and who knows how much longer Taylor Clark and Nick Whitgren are going to be in the back end of the bullpen, but I can tell you one thing. There has to be somebody out there better than going with Dylan Coleman in the eighth inning. Again, a loss isn't going to derail anything this season. If Dylan Coleman completely blew the game last night and the Mets won by five, I'm probably having the same conversation. My issue is we're not really sure what it is because it hasn't been very public, which is how it should be when dealing with professionals and dealing with clubhouse stuff. You don't just announce it to the media or announce it to the fan base. But I do feel like we need to get a definitive answer here. If it's injury-related, Shelvin shut down his 2023 season. We saw this same thing with Josh Stama. Or Josh Stama, the COVID year when he could air it out, it's 101-102. Year after that, early on in the year, it's still about 99-100. Then he fell off a cliff. He's sitting 94, 95, 96. But that was injury-related. This year, it was injury-related. Josh Stama had his velocity dip because he couldn't stay healthy. If Dylan Coleman is out there and he's not healthy, he doesn't need to be in the bullpen. What are you fighting for? Even if it's him saying, no, I want to be out there, you got to worry about the health of a player and the future of that player. Dylan Coleman can be a piece for next year's squad if he returns the 2022 form. This is not a playable bullpen guy. Now, if it's mental, you have a much bigger issue here. And I do take the mental part of baseball very seriously. Because that's not something you mess with. It's not something where you say, oh, come on, just get over it, throw strikes. No, if it's a mental thing, that's a far bigger issue here. Because then that's a player not instilling confidence in himself, going out there unsure of himself. And last night in the eighth inning against New York, that was a pitcher that just doesn't know where the ball's going. And relying on secondary stuff when you're somebody that is known for throwing triple digits, it just doesn't make much sense. But I think to take pressure off the guy, it's one or two things. Remove him from high leverage spots in the bullpen. Or number two, put him on the injured list. He's not getting any better in Omaha. That's what I want the Royals to avoid. He's got to be in this bullpen or he's got to be on the injured list. He's not fixing anything down in Omaha. And that was another one of my complaints. Now, if he goes down to Omaha and it's a mechanical thing, right? He, he can't throw strikes. He can't find the velocity again because he's not using his lower half or he's not gripping the fastball well enough. Then how did he not get it fixed in two months? Are we to doubt Omaha's pitching staff, the pitching gurus down there, or is it a stubborn thing? I have gotten no indication that Dylan Coleman is stubborn, so I'm not going to assume that he is. But this is problematic because he was, next to Scott Barlow, your best bullpen guy last year. This can't be a, a situation where you know, Carlos Hernandez could have it next year. You know, high velocity, good stuff, wipeout stuff, and then all of a sudden he tails off. Like if Dylan Coleman gets to what Carlos Hernandez is doing, 
Then you have a really powerful one-two punch at the back end of the bullpen. But Dylan Coleman's not doing anybody any favors if he's flipping in that sweeper 75% of the time. It's not a terrible pitch. It's really not. But his fastball is his best offering. And the last thing I want to leave you with is there has been a mentality change with new pitching coaches coming in, Brian Sweeney, Zach Bove, Mitch Stetter, working with these guys. And what all good pitching coaches do is they evaluate somebody and they say, okay, your best pitch is X or your best pitch is Y. Let's throw the hell out of that pitch. And I just have a hard time believing that Brian Swinney or Zach Bove would pull Dylan Coleman aside and say, hey, your best pitch is your sweeper, because it's not. Last year, Dylan Coleman's best pitch was his fastball. It was his put-away pitch. And you know what? If Dylan Coleman is concerned about throwing strikes, I promise you, everybody is far more understanding and okay with somebody missing the zone at 99 than failing to find the zone at 91 and 93. There's no value of that. Because if you're throwing missiles like that, eventually one of them is going to find the zone. But Dylan Coleman comes in last night, sweeper, first pitch single. Then he hits a batter. Then he gives up a bloop single. Then he walks somebody. And they got to pull him. That, that's not good enough for me. It's really not. The Royals need to find guys that go in there and say, if it's 3-2, bases loaded, two outs, nowhere to put him, here it is. Carlos Hernandez is probably the only guy in the bullpen that does that. 3-0, 3-1, it's going to be in the zone. I'd rather do that, let your defense play, than just give somebody a free pass. And there's been too many free passes for Dylan Coleman. I mean, the numbers this year, I'm just going to give them to you straight out. And I'm going to compare them to last year. So last year, Dylan Coleman appeared in 68 games, 2.78 ERA, 68 innings pitched, had 71 strikeouts, 37 walks a bit high, but only five home runs. He hit only six guys. Now his FIP was 3.88. His whip was around league average 1.235, but kept the ball in the yard, didn't give up many hits. This year, there's been no rhythm. There's been no good. There's been no positivity. He has an 11.08 ERA in 15 games. He's thrown only 13 innings, given up 16 earned runs, two home runs, 13 walks, 14 Ks. His whip is 2.231, so a full point higher. He's given up 11.1 hits per nine, over a home run per nine, walking nine guys per nine. That's that's about as bad as it can get. So my, my solution Take him out of a high leverage spot. Make him long relief. I know he's not going to go longer than an inning or so. But you put him in blowouts. Try to correct some things. Or you put him on the injured list. You shut him down for this year and get it right in the offseason. I still think there's a pitcher in there. There's a back-end bullpen guy in there. But maybe forcing him out there in spots like this, it's not going to help him. At least not in my opinion. All right. We are going to switch the the setting and, and the tune of this podcast by talking about a young and upcoming guy that's getting the ball tonight for Kansas City, and that's Cole Reagans, who they acquired in the Roldish Chapman deal. So I'm going to dive into that next on Locked On Royals. You are tuning to Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. Before we go any further, I'm going to give a shout out to today's title sponsor in Sleeper. And I've got some great picks for you tonight if you're into some fantasy baseball. So the guy I'm about to talk about, Cole Reagans, is getting the ball for the second time in Kansas City. So he's never pitched outside of Kauffman Stadium as a starter for the Kansas City Royals. 
and he's going to get the ball on the bump tonight against the New York Mets lineup. That looks a lot different. I know he's been struggling with command a bit down in Omaha. Still has the high-velocity fastball. That I'm excited to see. Want to see the cutter usage again. I'd like to see it a little bit less. Like to see the changeup. But I think for tonight, I think Cole Riggins has more than four and a half strikeouts. Low number, but I also don't know the pitch count that he's going to be on. I'm hoping it's around 85 to 90. He can get you through five innings, just like he did against Tampa Bay. So I'm going to take the over on four and a half strikeouts for Cole Reagans. Then for my second pick here, I'm going to go offensively for the guy we're going to talk about in our third segment. That's MJ Melendez. I'm going to pick him to homer tonight. Now, Senga of the Mets is going to be tough to homer off of, but he's been red hot. OBP of 339 his last 15 games. He's hit safely in 14 of the 16 games in the second half, and he's got three multi-hit games in that stretch. But I'm going to go one step further. I was kind of underselling with Cole Reagan. It's not as spicy of a pick, but I had MJ Melendez homering tonight. It's been not as much of a power year for him, but I do feel like he runs into one tonight. Hopefully, it'll be in a fifth straight win for the Kansas City Royals. Now with Sleeper, do you agree with my picks? Do you believe Melendez is going to homer? Cole Reagan's is going to pick pitch well, excuse me. Well, I think that they are. So with Sleeper, you can swing for the fences with up to 100 times the payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less on their stat categories like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right, and you could win big with Sleeper. So tonight, it's going to be Cole Reagans on the bump. He took Alec Marsh's spot in the rotation, and I love it. Now, I think that in one of my early podcasts, one of my first episodes, we dove into Alec Marsh and the guy that he could become. And now I've kind of been going back and forth because I saw Alec Marsh strike out 11 guys, 11 Tampa Bay Rays, and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to pencil him into the rotation here. He feels like a fit for the rotation. And then he starts to get roughed up. He gets roughed up in New York. He gets roughed up in Cleveland, and that ERA is over 7. You're 0-5 with the 7-2-0 ERA. I can't find a lot of positivity in that. So the Royals and Matt Quattrero and and J.J. Bacol, they all probably come to an agreement that the best spot for Alec Marsh to close out the year is in the bullpen. Unless somebody gets hurt again or you have to send somebody down but the Royals want to see a little bit more in Cole Reagans than they do in Alec Marsh. So last night, the Royals go with Alec Marsh and Austin Cox back-to-back. They worked a clean sixth and seventh inning. And that's a role I want to see them in moving forward. I kind of made the comparison that Austin Cox could be a Tim Collins, and Tim Collins was vastly underrated. So don't act like Tim Collins was nothing here. If Austin Cox becomes Tim Collins for this bullpen, that is an absolute win. Now for Alec Marsh, I think that he can have that strikeout pitch work even better. Thought his circle change had good command, only had one walk, had a strikeout, faced kind of the meat of the order of the New York Mets. So I like that fit for him. And the reason I like that fit even more is because it opens up a spot for Cole Reagans, who's going to get the start tonight against New York. Here's what I'm looking for. And you could probably copy paste this from my episode the night before. I think it was a couple hours before Cole Reagans made that start against Tampa Bay. What I'm looking for tonight. Velocity, velocity, velocity. If he's running it up there again from 97 to 99, no, his last pitch, I think it was pitch number 81 against Tampa in the fifth inning. It was at 98 miles per hour. You hold that velocity all night long. I could live with a couple runs. You go five innings, give up four runs, but that velocity is high. I can deal with it. 
you gave your chance a team to win that game. Now, the walk numbers have been a bit concerning down in Omaha. That's something I'm still trying to gauge, and it wasn't a flawless outing against Tampa, but I'll take five innings of one-run ball any day you can give it, especially for this rotation, especially for the guys they've been throwing out there. But this should be an easier start for him when looking at the first one he had against Tampa. When you're facing Tampa, a lot of their big-time hitters are right-handers. Randy Arozarena, an all-star. Jose Siri, big-time power. Right-handed hitters. Now, they didn't see Yandy Diaz in that series. They saw Wander Franco. And there was a lot of star-studded guys in that lineup. There was a couple lefties that he got to face off against, but the Rays can really beat you up and batter you with the right-handed pitching. The Mets tonight, I mean, this is kind of a team that is at odds. They just were sellers at the deadline after having one of the highest payrolls in all of baseball. If I'm not mistaken, mistaken, excuse me, the Mets did have the highest payroll in baseball. You had Scherzer and Verlander. Now Francisco Lindor has a ridiculous contract. Edwin Diaz, who is out for the year, has a ridiculous contract. But across the board, it's a team now that is a shell of its former self. I mean, they lost last night in probably the most embarrassing fashion before even throwing a pitch. I think it was uh, uh, blanking on his first name, but it was Walker of the Mets. He comes in and thrown seven big league innings this year, balked before bringing, or before, before throwing the first pitch. So he balks, and, and the Royals win that game. They get their fourth in a row. Like That's the way things are going for the Mets. But as for their lineup, there's a lot of unknown now. Now there's those mainstays like Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil. There are some mainstays. But at the end of the day, this is a team that's six games under 500, struggling in the NL East. And the Royals, I think, are catching them at a good time. And Cole Reagans, more importantly, is catching this lineup at a very good time. Zach Greinke had really one bad pitch yesterday. And it was the 116-mile-per-hour solo home run by Pete Alonso. Other than that, he was fine. And Zach Greinke's not been very good this year. Still just one win and 11 losses. 14 consecutive times he has not gotten a win. So Cole Reagans gets the ball tonight. Just try to piggyback it. The bullpen may not hold it up for you. It's not a very good bullpen, but that shouldn't be your focus. Your focus is making sure in these first two innings, not dealing with a lot of base runners. It sounds very simple. It sounds like baseball 101. It sounds very, you know, just easy to do. Okay, you face the first six batters, only have one guy on base for the first two innings because where young pitchers can really get banged up, They can really have a start unravel for them. It's dealing with a high pitch count in innings one and two. Because if you can settle in in those first six batters, then you're setting yourself up for a quality start through six. You go even further than that, it's only bonus at that point. It's bonus points for you. So Cole Reagans, to me, looking for the velocity, and I'm looking for the first couple innings. Now, how does he set the tone? Is he living in the zone? Is he being aggressive? Is he attacking hitters? Or is he timid? Because in his last start in Omaha, I think he went through five innings, gave up no runs or maybe one run. He walked five guys. That I don't want to see tonight. I don't want to see the high walk numbers. Now, he walked two against Tampa. I can live with two. I can live with three. You get in the four range, I'm not really liking it too much because that's dealing with a lot of base runners. And that's one thing Cole Reagans needs to avoid tonight. You work quickly. You live in the zone. Pitch to your defense. He throws upper 90s. 
but he's not a big strikeout guy just yet. Limit the cutter usage a little bit. I'd like to stick fastball change. And I think Cole Reigns can have a pretty good start tonight. Now, as I said with my sleeper picks, I would take him to have over four and a half strikeouts, get around the five, six range. I can live with it. But we're going to see Cole Reagans from here on out. As long as he stays healthy, it's his spot. And I imagine the Royals are going to start moving around some pieces. I know J.J. Bacola spoke to the media yesterday and said, we still haven't made our decision on Ryan Yarbrough's spot. But Alec Marsh's spot is now Cole Reagan's spot. I'd imagine that Angel Serpa is going to grab Ryan Yarbrough's spot. Or if they wanted to call somebody up, maybe the next guy available is Anthony Veneziano. But that's going to be another 40-man roster move. So Cole Reagan's tonight against the New York Mets. Feels like he can have a pretty dang good start. Piggybacking. They've been pretty good in the second half, the starting rotation. No ERA about middle of the league. They had a top five walk rate. That's always an improvement. And that's what I want to see from this rotation. Everybody that takes the ball, be aggressive. You get roughed up a little bit, you get roughed up. But if you're somebody that is not living in the zone, if you're timid, if you're nibbling a little bit, it changes your identity as a pitcher. Brady Singer has been good his last four to five starts. You want to know why? He's not nibbling. He's attacking hitters. 0-1 counts, 0-2 counts, 1-2 counts, 2-2 counts. Not getting 2-0, 3-0, 2-1. Can't live with that. You got to get ahead. First pitch strikes, deal with these first six batters in an aggressive way, and then you can carry that into innings three, four, and five. So Cole Reagans gets the ball tonight against the New York Mets. He'll face off against Kodai Senga of the New York Mets, who has been just dominant over his last 15 starts or so. But the Royals are going to go for a series win tonight and grab their fifth consecutive win to add to their season-long winning streak. We're not done just yet because when we come back, time to jump to the offensive side of things. There is a young guy heating up, but is he doing enough? I'm going to dive in that next on Locked On Royals. You are tuning to Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 1-5. We've talked about two pitchers in the show tonight. Talked about Dylan Coleman, his struggles, and Cole Reagans, who gets the ball tonight against the New York Mets. But how about the lineup? How about the offensive side of things? And a guy that is really taking the brunt of the criticism with this lineup, with the offense. And it's MJ Melendez. So MJ Melendez, I think you have to go back to opening day. And I really have enjoyed seeing how he's progressed and tried different things. That's one thing I will never harp on with MJ Melendez. He is actively trying to fix his swing, do things differently. If you're a baseball player and you're stubborn in your own ways and saying, it's my way, I know how to be successful, not changing a single thing, I don't really care if you struggle. If you're so good and you can you can get out of it yourself, then okay. You can do it. I'm not going to worry about you. But MJ Melendez is a young hitter, still trying to find footing. And for the first half of the year, it was disastrous. And also keep in mind, he's trying to fix himself offensively while playing brand new positions. Right, MJ Melendez, his entire life has been a catcher. There was a short stint in Omaha where the Royals tried him out at third base. Then the Royals this year... Early, early on, he's behind the plate. He's improving his framing skills, but the bat's not there. So to me, you're asking a 24-year-old guy to fix himself at the plate and fix himself in the field in a position he's not comfortable in. So they're throwing him out there in right field. They're throwing him out there in left field. It's not really working. It's not really working, and it still isn't working. He's bad defensively. He's a liability out there defensively. 
But now with a different hand placement in his stance, you're seeing the improvement. Okay, so I have him homering tonight. It's a bit of a stretch because it's always tough to predict home runs. But MJ Melendez is a guy that's now hit safely in 14 of the 16 games in the second half. His OBP, which I care about a lot, is at 339. That's about where I want it to be for MJ Melendez. And he has three multi-hit games. He had the game-tying single in the 10th inning last night, a wild 10th inning. And you saw the emotion. You saw him get pumped up because he's a guy that needs to show the emotion. He's got the big chain. He's got the flair. He's got the swagger. He's what you want in a player personality-wise. He's a great guy in the clubhouse, respectful for the media. And he's also a good teammate. He's bouncing around the clubhouse, and you want to root for this guy. But again, I go back to opening day, because this is when it all sort of unraveled for him, as early as it was. And the Royals are playing the Twins, Zach Kaufman Stadium. The Royals need to, to score. I think they're down one nothing at this point. Base is loaded in one out, and he just hits a little dribbler and gets doubled up. And people are saying, no, oh, he's not running hard. And, and from that point on, it really affected him. He never got things going. I'm not saying he's got things going right now, but it's somewhere to start. I was asked this on Twitter, and you can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15, but I was asked this on Twitter about, is this enough? Am I sold on it? And I'm not just yet. It's a place to start. But for MJ Melendez, the only way that I can be accepting of bad defense, being a liability in the outfield, is you have to have 25 to 30 home run power. It's largely a reason why Kyle Schwarber still has a job in Philly. Kyle Schwarber is a disaster in left field for Philadelphia, and the Royals will see them this weekend when they travel to Philly. The reigning NL East champs, the National League champs, and runner-up in the World Series. But it's why Kyle Schwarber still has a job. He's terrible defensively. Every metric, eye test, analytical, you name it. MJ Melendez isn't very good either. But he's not Kyle Schwarber with his power. If MJ Melendez next year is a 25 to 30 home run guy, I could live with bad defense because he is athletic enough. That's the thing. Good arm, athletic enough. Reads are bad. Tracking is bad. But if you have that power at the plate, high walk rate, and you have that swagger, that flair, I could live with it. I really can't. But right now, it's just a place to start at. He is not tapped in to the power again. He was a very powerful hitter last year. Hasn't really had that. But in the big leagues, it's about finding where you are. You know, how you can improve yourself. And for MJ Melendez, you know what I will respect about him is the coaching staff could throw him at, throw this at him, a new position and a lot of expectation in the lineup and expect him to handle it, right? He's 24 years old. He's been a catcher his whole life. And they're not bumping Salvador Perez or Freddie Fermin off that spot. So he's got to go learn right field. And that is an incredibly difficult position to learn on the fly. And they just tried him out there. It's not like he had all of spring training to do so. So when you're struggling defensively and you're struggling at the plate, think about the confidence in a young player. It is tough to have that confidence. But now we're starting to see the confidence radiate a little bit. And that's so important in a second half for a guy that I don't think is a lock for the roster next year at least not a starter. The Royals see a lot in him, but you got to show more. You can't be a defensive liability and not have a lot of power at the plate or a good bat or a good approach or a good feel at the plate. And for the first three to four months of the year, he didn't have it. He just didn't have that type of feel at the plate. 
Now we're starting to see in the second half a different stance, a better feel, more comfort, and hitting the ball harder. I'm hoping for a very big second half for a guy like MJ Melendez. Okay, that is going to do it for another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can always check us out on all those podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and you can check us out on YouTube. Just hit that subscribe button, and you can comment on our YouTube page, or you can comment to me on Twitter, again, at JohnnyJ underscore 15. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.